0: welcome to another episode of the work life podcast to find out more about the work life hub and to listen to other episodes please go to www.worklifehub.com
1: welcome to another episode of the work life hub podcast i am your host agnes Uheretsky. if this is the first time that you are tuning in Let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change, and organizational development. In our work at the Work Life Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Podcast. This is Agnes, your host. And today joining me is Dr. Sean Davis, who is the Global Director of Safety, Health, Wellbeing and Sustainability at the Royal Mail Group. Hi, good morning, Sean.
0: Hi, good morning.
1: So, uh, Sean not only has been recently named as one of the most influential people in health and safety by SHP Magazine, he's also um, the leader of the program Feeling First Class at Royal Mail that we will discuss. But in addition, he also holds four masters and a doctorate. He joined the Royal Mail Group in September 2012 and previously worked in a different sectors in construction, civil engineering, waste management. And I'm really particularly excited about this conversation because I feel that in this realm of working conditions, uh, well-being, we often neglect to talk about blue-collar or less skilled workers, uh, people who have to be on the job uh, at certain times and don't have the flexibility of, of knowledge workers. So please tell listeners a little bit about yourself. What drives you? What's your passion obviously must have really strong one to you know learn so much about it and put so much energy into it but tell us a little bit about yourself
0: I think my um, my passion and, and commitment and enthusiasm for safety health and well-being I think back to my my childhood my my dad worked in the in the steelworks in Sheffield my mom was a, a nurse and I think um for me having seen um you know the conditions that some people work in, and the environments that some people work in, and the fact that health has been such a underdeveloped aspect of the role of health and safety. I think when you combine all those things together, that's where my real enthusiasm comes into it. Really, I think it's really important that we keep people safe at work, and also I think we should. Uh, complement their health wherever we can and, and we should help them to be to be the best and most healthy they can be so that that's really the, the driving force for me I think my personal vision is that people go home at the end of every day um, safe and well and ideally in a better state than when they came to work uh, that morning rather than the worst state which is what uh, some of the older kind of organizations and older um, business sectors might have thought you need to get your pound of flesh. I think you can get, I think you can get really good quality work from people, but also keep them safe and well.
1: Why do you think that this is still an issue? I mean, there's tons of research, there's all the evidence out there, and yet I think when people meet with their families in the evenings or go to the pub, or you know, a lot of people still say, yeah. "Oh, I had such a stressful day, such a bad day." What do you think are? are Are the reasons that this is still not so much taken uh, seriously
0: I think there's there's lots of reasons really and and I think we could have a you could have a a podcast that was entirely around um, (laughs) stress and stress factors and I think I think we live a much faster life I think we live um, I think people if I look back at my for example my my sister and I compare that to my niece so just you know that one generation gap I think the pace of life is phenomenal, um, and I think the instant gratification and expectation that you get through things like social media. And um, if you think about it. You think back to being, being you know, young, if you wanted a book, for argument's sake, you'd wait. You'd have an author. You'd wait for the, the author to come out. You'd be really excited. You'd go to the bookshop. You'd go through the books. You'd buy the book. Fantastic. Now it's instant. That you know, instant download, instant gratification, instant everything is instant and the, and I think that's good in many respects but I think we've got a bit of a I think we've got a bit of a um an impatient generation or an, an instant generation where it's lost some of its patience and as a consequence of that it's become much more life's become faster more demanding and more stressful
1: and this translates also into the workplace
0: yeah so I think I think within work I think if I think about my personal circumstances and my personal um uh, the the organization that I work for we we take a lot of interest in in stress and anxiety and 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 workload pressures because you know we want to be the best that we can be and we want to give our customers the best service that they can that they can receive and and that they deserve and um it's a very competitive market it's a very um full market particularly in the parcels world now and so we're always striving to be you know the best that we can be and with that there does come an element of uh, as you said impatience, impatience and, um, uh, and stress and I think it's all those things aggregating up the expectation you look at some of the uh, online retailers now you can get stuff it used to be used to place an order and it used to be in a week's time then three days time then a day's time and then it's now later that day or within an hour it's everything is much more faster paced
1: would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your role, which is just as you said that we could have just one podcast episode just about stress, but, <laughs> but your role encompasses safety, health, well-being, sustainability, environment and quality, how, how this comes together and, and, and whether this is you, you have a department and, and how is this organized within Royal Mail?
0: Yeah, so I've got a, I've got a, a team of uh, 80 people altogether, but part of that wider community, that extended team, is the work that we do with our unions. So the Communication Workers mm-hmm. Union and with Unite CMA. So there are our our, um, our two unions, and they are very deliberately use the word community because mm-hmm. whilst there might not be direct reports of me in terms of my team, we are all in it together, and we work very strongly together in terms of promoting the, the safety, health, and environmental um, agenda. Um, So safety, in in terms of my my day-to-day job, is looking at operational risk, safety standards, policies, procedures, implementation, very traditional inspections and audit, and then also looking at things like behaviour change, culture, engagement, health, particularly under our our Feeling First Class banner, is is focused on very broad health, health promotion, and then narrows specifically down to look at uh, mental health and musculoskeletal issues. Mm-hmm. And then the environment and sustainability uh, environment is to do with looking at um, uh, operation efficiency, carbon reduction, reduction in waste, water, etc. And the sustainability piece of it all is about when you work for an organisation like Royal Mail, where its people are really its, its most valuable asset, it's important that we keep people um, safe, well, and that we have a, a, a kind of a, a good environment, um, both with a smallly and a capitally for them to, to operate in. So this, the sustainability aspect is very deliberate. It's about making sure that we operate now um, in a way that we are, are looking to the future so that we will be here hopefully for another 500 years. Royal Mail have been here for 501 years this year. There's a very <laughs> strong um, culture, legacy, um, heritage and, and pride in, in that and, and you know, I'd like to think that I can play my part in, in continuing that.
1: Um, concerning the the changes and touching a little bit at what we were discussing at the beginning about digitalization and, and the changing pace of of work, the pace of life, um, I imagine your role has also a lot of uh, a, a big component about changing behaviors and and yeah. teaching people, New behaviors, but also perhaps new skills about self care and and care for um care for their families or or care for their work environment. so how do you mm. um, uh, do this how, is there a, a deliberate strategy? do you do it via trainings? I would like to get a little bit your your take on it
0: yeah, I think the the key principle for me is that you can never do safety or health or environmental management to people. It's not something that you can sheep dip them in or, you know, put them all on a course and get you know, an instant return. It's not something you do to them, it's something you do with them. So for me it's about getting people to understand why it's important and why why is your personal safety, the safety of your colleagues important and across a whole dimension. So personally, you know, why 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 would anybody want to be safe and well personally? Because that means if you are safe and well you can have a better quality of life, you can enjoy your life, you can enjoy time with your friends and family. That's the personal aspect. Operationally, it means you can contribute to doing a really good day's work, and that good day's work is good for for you and good for the organisation. You contribute to the wider community in terms of um, the UK, and in fact, in our case, the global the global community and, and the and the the, the postal and, um, and parcels market. So I think there's. There's a lot to be said for for providing um, education to people at work to enable them to think about um, their individual role and how that can be beneficial for themselves and also for for the organisation, the communities that that they work in. And I think having programmes and campaigns like Feeling First Class and First Class Safety, which is what we've got, gives people something to anchor to and refer back to and a a framework. People, People in my experience like a framework to, to use, to, to understand and to make sense of the world that they're operating in. And so, as I said, feeling first class and, and first class safety are those, those frameworks of which we can look at introducing culture change programmes, education programmes and to take people with us on our improvement journey.
1: So we have mentioned now for feeling first class a couple of times. So would you like yeah. to elaborate on that, how this came about, what were the triggers and, and, and what does it? Uh, what, what is involved?
0: So, Feeling First Class is, a, is our internal health and wellbeing brand. And if you imagine it as, a, as an overarching umbrella concept, because below that we have a, a number of other substrands. So, for example, we have first class mental health, we have first class health, which is our health promotion agenda, we have first class driving, et cetera, et cetera. And we've also got our employee assistance program. And I think having a, a brand and an identity that people can connect to and they can and they can pick the pieces that they want to work with, with and, and um, they can choose which parts they want to engage with. I think it makes it very personal. What I'm, what I'm very against is having blanket um, blanket c- campaigns where we say, you, know, you must do this, you must stop mm-hmm. doing that, because everyone is adult. everyone's an adult. They're all entitled to make their, their own um, decisions. I personally, I, I'm, a, I'm a non-smoker, uh, I enjoy going to the gym. I try and live a you know a very active a, a lifestyle. Some people out there who who choose to smoke that doesn't mean they're ro- they're they're wrong and I'm right. They're they're bad and I'm good. I think I think campaigns that say that try and say you know set up different camps of things about good, bad, black, white is just not is just not the way to do things. I think what you should do is give people information. Arm them with the data and allow them to make their own decisions and try and encourage them to to live a a healthier lifestyle or um, make choices that suit them rather than say, you will do this. I think you've got to guard against being um, parental about these things because it just disengages people.
1: Yes, I think you point out two really, really important uh, aspects there. One is the uh, importance of being non-judgmental. Mm. taking people as they come and not judge them on their previous choices, but to orient them and help them to make perhaps better choices for themselves and then uh, also to the company. And the other one is infantilizing uh, employees. And and I think that there's still a lot of, we see this with some companies, still this uh, very patronizing um, element, the the one size fits all and and the, the ideal worker type. We just have these almost like tin soldiers lined up and we're just going to paint them as you said.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, um, I personally, I can only, I can only speak as I, as I would feel. And I would feel um, patronized and um, offended if I was taught, you must do this, you mustn't do that. Because I'm an adult who can make my own decisions. What I, what I really respond well to is, is information, um, points of view, opinions, and also, feedback from peers and people who want to come forward. So I I personally think the, the reason why, why our mental health um, campaign, for example, has been as successful as it's been is because we've had people who've been beneficiaries of, of our employee assistance programme or our mental health training who said, I want to tell other people what this did for me. Mm. That to me is much more important than saying Dr. Sean Davis says. I think to say, you know, John Smith from our um, delivery office in um, one particular town says this it's got much more power to it because it's real it's authentic it's about people that have experienced that um, uh, issue that that health issue and then worked their way through it being supported and want to share their story that to me is a much more effective way of getting change and influencing your culture positively than, than it being a top down approach now in saying that I think the top down piece I think leadership is incredibly important so I do think um, senior leaders, as we see with our our own chief executive, standing behind something or you know championing a cause again is very powerful. So our chief executive has been very supportive of of our mental health agenda. Of me personally promoting the mental health agenda, and that has huge ripple effects across the organisation because other people at, at a variety of levels in the organisation take that that lead. So I think the role of senior leaders in promoting and encouraging a a, um, a health agenda is really strong.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I just wanted to to uh, ask you a follow-up question about the mental health um, program. Um yeah. because that's that's one of the issues some countries' companies face that um it's uh, it's quite difficult to get through to men.
0: Mm.
1: Is this also something yeah. that you have experienced experience, dif- differences between men and women and how they respond yeah. or how to approach them?
0: It is so, so I've been, I've, I've had a, worked with a lot of men in my professional career because as you know, I worked in construction, then I mm-hmm. worked in waste, then I've come to Royal Mail, which is 88% male employer. So I have mm-hmm. worked and and I've seen it um, firsthand. And, and, and I think, um, again, campaigns like the prostate cancer, um, campaigns of testicular cancer campaigns, check your chats, all folder, all those campaigns that try to reach out to men have been particularly effective when they've encouraged men, they've educated and encouraged men to own it themselves rather than doing it for them. And I think um I think that men are a difficult gender to engage with on health things, but when they do, they can be particularly kind of powerful. I think a lot of work goes into promoting female health, particularly things around you know, breast cancer Um, cervical cancer etc etc i think we're still slightly behind on the on the men's health agenda and i'm a i'm a trustee of the men's health forum and that's one of the areas that we are really pushing on we're trying to educate and um support men on on owning their own health and well-being in the same sort of way that we see with women saying that though within in raw Mail i've got some fantastic examples of people who have come to me and have said wanted to share their experiences of their kind of health experiences using things like feeling first class and the employee assistance program, and when they do, um, again, there's often a, a swell of, of um, additional inquiries following that. So if we have someone come forward and uh, a, a guy come forward and speak up about a particular issue, it's almost it almost normalises it and gives permission for other people to say that's something bothering bothering me. So I think men can help other men by talking about the issues and and, and by sharing their experiences. As I said within in Rome, we've got predominantly male employer, but we have got um, obviously a large population of, of women and I think women are, are really um influential in encouraging men to own their own health and well being and, and, and supporting them. So so our campaigns are not just about targeting men, they're about the men owning their own health and well being and women kinda of helping us um to help men own their own health and well being if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. And, and what are some of the specific tools that, that you use? Is it um, uh, organizing a football match or, or uh, some nudges? I, I heard you uh, in 2017 at the Work2.0 conference talk about, um, for example, the sunscreen um campaign that you were doing Mm -hmm. Um, um, so so perhaps just to give a feel what what would be one or two you know very very concrete examples of of campaigns or actions that you do
0: so um, so when we did when we were partnering we're currently partnering our our charity partner at the moment is action for children uh, um, with a mental health focus previous prior to that we we worked with the prostate cancer charity and we did a number of interventions there ranging from um, bake sales through to uh, football matches through to um track days, sponsored events. So so it's about connecting with people in the local communities and letting them come up with the things that they want to do and then raising money and raising money and awareness through the campaign. Particularly the, the um the football matches are particularly um uh engaging because the guys like that and that mm-hmm. so we kinda of ran ran a series of um of local matches and then um regional matches and yeah, it just got people talking about it. So so, so the, the football match is a good example because the, the match is an example, or is a, t- a vehicle, should I say, to carry on that conversation. So you see, you know, having this football match, why? Or having it because, of, you know, to promote um, the prostate cancer charity to raise money. right? did you know that? Mm. It's an opportunity for a, a conversation around prostate cancer, testicular cancer, et cetera. And often it's easier to have it um, when it's fronted up by a particular
1: activity yeah so it's almost like a trip it's a triple win yeah because you engage people to come and and express their solidarity express their you know uh, tap into their feelings of wanting to help others Um, but at the same time because they have engaged they're already you know asking questions what is it actually and then um, combining with with another activities is which is also good for their health it's yeah. it it seems to be so simple right but still yeah. very very yeah. effective
0: There's, when i think back and i think back to my time in construction um we we ran some men's health campaigns then and um it was very you know very effective we used a variety of different channels we used letters to home we used um notice board, uh text messaging etc but the most effective where there was the most engagement was in the gents toilets so we had sign we had we had posters around um key stats around testicular cancer and prostate cancer um, you know, above the wash basins on the doors as you walked in um above the urinals and people read it because you, you'd almost got them as a kind of captive audience it was very quick something for them to take on board when we did a, when I did a a post campaign review, that was by far the the area where it got most um, interest shown because people people it wasn't just swept away in the in the wallpaper of a normal um, notice board. It was very deliberately placed in these in these uh, personal places, gents' mm. toilets, where people could read it and reflect.
1: Absolutely, great. Well. Uh... I have really, really enjoyed so far the conversation, but unfortunately, time is always running very quickly here. Before we go to the last question, may I ask you, Sean, to to share with the listeners where they can find out more about the first class, feeling first class program, uh, or where they could potentially reach out to you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm 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 hugely supportive of the network. I think we're much stronger together as a as a as a working community when we use. One another and we, we share ideas and there's no monopoly on on keeping people um, safe and, and healthy at work so I'm, I'm really pleased people can contact me either through my LinkedIn profile um, via Twitter she Doctor to uh, Sean P Davis RM or they can email me at uh, rawmail which is davis at com, and I'd be more than happy to share with them uh, some of the things that we've been involved with
1: perfect Thank you. Now, coming to the last question, which is always the same here. If I could ask you um, to give one advice to a CEO to start thinking about or improving on their uh, well-being and health and safety programs, what would be your advice?
0: Don't wait for perfection. (laughs) So I think if you're waiting for the perfect strategy or the perfect time or the perfect environment, you know, you're going to be waiting a long time. So, in my experience, I think you should just do something, um, and and that creates a head of steam. And often, the, the recipients, your employees, the people there, will will help you to steer the direction. So, um, yeah, my my closing comment will be: don't wait for perfection; just do something.
1: Absolutely fantastic, brilliant! Thank you so much, Sean. I really enjoyed the conversation and I me wish too, you too. all the best for for your for your work very important work
0: Thank you very much